But I think that's something we, especially in America right now, have lost, especially when it comes to the politics, is being able to listen to another person's side, see their points, and say, listen, I agree to disagree with you, but there were some really good points in there, and I'm going to use some of them. Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In Conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintain, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. If you aren't moved, let alone inspired by this next conversation, please check your pulse. I introduce you to Chris Carminucci. 30 years ago, if you would have told me or anyone that knew Chris back then that we'd be here today discussing how successfully to navigate life, most people would have put you in a loony bin, all except for Mrs. Del Negro, that is. But as you will learn, these same doubters could have very well fueled some of his competitive fire that drove his boat to success. Chris is a scout for the Arizona Diamondbacks, an entrepreneur, a mentor to many, a super connector, and an author, not to mention an amazing father to three beautiful girls. Speaking of being an author, his book, Sign Me, The Undrafted Baseball Player's Guide to the Independent Leagues, just came out and has quickly become a bestseller on Amazon. It's a fun and quick read that's extremely informative. This was a very candid conversation with a guy that was given nothing and has had to always work his ass off at every phase of his life. Chris is as humble as they come. He's a self-proclaimed work in progress that is passionately dedicated to the game of baseball and the game of life. Chris shares what he looks for in talent when he's scouting, as well as how players can utilize social media when looking to get noticed. He delves into his personal journey and how paramount the relationships he's built played a marquee role in his accomplishments. He also shared some valuable lessons that he's learned along the way, like the importance of having a mentor, a listen first, speak later, and the value of having diversity in your networks. He told us a cool story behind the signing of Johnny Peralta, as well as how not every one of his endeavors was a huge hit, no pun intended, but how he's not afraid to fail and how he doesn't let anything scare him. He's a true inspiration. This conversation touches on so many topics that rather than have me walk you through them all, I invite you to pull up a chair, strap on the headphones, and settle into a fun and insightful conversation with my good friend, Chris Carminucci. Enjoy. We're going to have some fun. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Good stuff. Long be, overdue, man. Long overdue, man. Who would have yeah. known 30 years later, or well, maybe more? I think it's a good time now. We should be able to tell some of our teachers from back in high school to kiss our butts a little bit. You know? <laughs> you know, All right. So who do you thank for how you've turned out? And who would you say you could have done better by me? I would say 99% of the people could have done better. There'd be too many names to mention, but I think the most important person I would mention from, say, John Jay would be Mrs. Del Negro. Mrs. Um, D. And you had Matt yeah, on the show. Matt so was uh, she was an amazing, amazing person. I agree. Yeah. I agree. She was my homeroom teacher for a few years. She's just a fantastic lady. Know her on a personal level and just they don't make them like her. Special human being, for yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 So I, I would thank her first and foremost. Okay. So, so there's yeah. your opportunity. There you I did. I thought, <laughs> hey, Mrs. Mrs. Right, D, cool. thank you for putting up with me. Yeah. yeah. So. Is there anyone that didn't do you right? 
I think pretty much the vast majority of people in my life have been pretty good, but I'm one of these people that I always felt that maybe this is me being pompous, but I always felt they should have seen more in me than they did or give me more of a chance. Cause yeah. a lot of times I think in our world, teachers in particular, they get in the rat race, man, they get going. And sometimes there's some talent in front of them and they don't notice it or they don't want to notice it. So what talent should they have noticed from you? I think the biggest thing that they weren't able to do for me, and again, I'm one of these people that in life, I take full responsibility for anything. I think that's the best way to live through life. If there was a mistake in a company I ran or anything, I took 100% of it. When there was credit, I gave it to the other people. That was the way I was taught to do it. But I think what they didn't notice in me was that maybe some of my goofballness was an insecure kid trying to just feel his way through and give that some credit for at least coming out of a shell. And it, it might have come out in the wrong way, but try to build off that. So uh, I think that would be the thing that I would say that okay. they, they missed out. You know? <laughs> right. they, so, you know, so they missed the boat. They missed the boat on that. And you know? could any of that that they missed fueled something that turned into something more positive? I think it, it may have a big chip on my shoulder, you know, yeah. in my entire okay. life, which was a good thing. I think if I didn't have that chip on my shoulder, I might not have achieved some of the things I've been able to do. I think I would have maybe been mainstream. I would have been, and there's nothing wrong with being mainstream, but I think I would have thought less of myself. Instead, I thought, I'm going to prove you all wrong. For example, when you asked me to be on the show, I'm a huge fan of the show anyway, but I went back and I listened to everybody that was on it before. A, because I wanted to learn, but B, because I wanted to be better than all of them. Nice. Okay, that's how I am. Well, that's, that's how it, I'm yeah, built. Yeah, you know what I mean? So I told you you're competitive. Uh, uh, you uh, make uh, fun of oh, me oh, for making basketball. I am. But as the audience will hear, <laughs> yeah. I'm a giant hypocrite. <laughs> and I know that about yeah, myself. Okay. I'm an incredibly huge hypocrite. So let's go, man. <laughs> yeah, I will contradict myself 99 yeah. times on this but podcast. But you'll own it. You'll own it. I will. I absolutely will. So, for example, last night I was playing basketball. Chris was there. He flew in. And there was a gentleman, he sent a text out to a group of people of our friends and saying that he really didn't care for this one guy. <laughs> what would you say you wanted to do? Uh, well, I, I was going to slash his tires <laughs> yeah. because so, he was a little too competitive. Yeah. Was, meanwhile, I'm saying that. Yeah. I was incredible hypocrite. Yeah. Yeah, so the guy ends up giving us a ride home and Chris <laughs> tells me it's like his new best friend. Yeah. So, yeah. As I think you and I probably did like yeah. when we first yeah. met in yeah. fifth grade yeah. and now we, uh, we've been friends for 35 years. Years. So, you know, man, I'm a giant hypocrite. Yeah, so okay, I, I good. admit it. I good, admit good, it. Good. Yeah. So, I have these, it's really interesting when doing these shows that I have so many questions. I write them up for people, and some people I know better than others. <laughs> so, you just never know where these things are going to go. So, here are our questions, and you know what? Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. I'll, be your go. Guinea, I'll, I'll be your guinea pig, too, yeah. if there's anything uh, you, know, you, know, so yeah. you can so ask. Why don't we do this? For those who don't know you, give an overview of kind of who you are, what you've done, and then we'll just go into some more of the conventional, if you will, questions and conversations. As you can see from our previous conversation that we started, I'm a work in progress. That's who I am. You know? <laughs> right. so, uh, but for people that don't know me, I mean, I've made a life and a living out of kind of all things baseball. It's been everything from the entrepreneurial side of baseball to the baseball side of baseball. I played in uh, professionally for an independent minor league team. After I got out of college, baseball has always been my love. It was an outlet for me as a kid. So when I got the opportunity to play high school, college, professionally, I knew I didn't want to get a real job, okay? I knew I wanted to work in this line of business. So I've done everything from, I was a minor league manager, player, I was a minor league GM, I was a CEO, an owner of a minor league team, so kind 
of all things professional baseball. Owned a batting uh, cage. Owned a batting cage as well, too. And I got the opportunity about 10 years ago, 8 to 10 years ago, to work in the major leagues now. So I get to work for the Arizona Diamondbacks, and now I'm a major league scout, and basically trading for and finding major league and minor league professional talent to acquire is what I do. But it's always been all things baseball and kind of encompassed in baseball has been my life. So, yeah. so what sacrifices have you had to make? in order to be where you are today. Well, you don't work in baseball and make money right away unless you're a first-round draft pick, which I was not, okay? Uh, (laughs) Adam, we played together, you know. I worked hard. I did the things to get better, but I was certainly not a first-rounder. So when we talk about sacrifice, it started from day one. It was, instead of going on vacations, we had to practice. So Mm -hmm. those were sacrifices. And then when it came to the working side of baseball, again, my name meant nothing early on in baseball. So I had to do everything from wear the mascot outfit to clean the stadium to to wash the uniforms, to whatever it took, Adam. That was what I was going to do. And that's something I'm very proud of, and it's something that I try to teach these young guys coming up now. you got to do it all. And if you can't do it all, you're not going to make it because there's too many people that want in this industry. Let's talk about that. Tell me about the competitive nature of baseball. What would you say is more competitive? Is it fair to say that the -the behind-the-scenes operation side of things, the world that you're playing in, more competitive than the sport itself? Oh, yeah, I would say so. And one thing that I will say about our industry from, and I'm talking off the field, I'm talking about front office of a major league team, is it is so competitive and so dog-eat-dog that you are doing everything you can. We're a bunch of alpha dogs. We're out there. We were talking earlier. Guy walks in the stadium who's, say, from the Dodgers, and I'm obviously from the Diamondbacks. I am looking for every reason to outwork that dude, okay? I am trying to, at any time, beat him at every part of scouting, talking to the other managers, talking to the players, trying to find out more information about because information's power. We're trying to find out all the information we can to get the upper leg on that guy. I will not talk to him. I will try to beat him at every step of the way. And then after the game, we'll all hang out and have a beer together. Yeah. You know okay. what I mean? Right. Meanwhile, during the game, we're MFing each other back yeah. and forth. You know what I mean? So that's how it is. And that's the part of it I love. How important are the relationships tied to your success? It's 100% tied. It's not 99%, Adam. Okay. It is 100% tied to the relationships that I've built over the years because it's a buddy system in this game. You do a good job and you do right by people. It does get rewarded. It's the way life really outside of baseball should be, mm-hmm. and it always isn't. But baseball is one of those things where you do the right thing, you work hard, you have some level of success, and you prove yourself, then those connections that you have that you must foster, not every day, I'm talking about every hour, every minute, Mm -hmm. because you mess up once, you might not have those relationships anymore. And that's been everything in my career. So I think you really touched on something that was really important in terms of like fostering those relationships. Tell me about some of the relationships that you've built and what you've had to do to foster them. I've been blessed to work for great people. Kevin Towers, who passed away in 2018, who was general manager of the Padres and then my boss with the Diamondbacks, he was all about, hey, work your connections. Because listen, like I said before, when you're scouting and in any business, it's about information. You want to know everything you can before you give a guy eight, 10, 20 million dollars. So Kevin was really big on making sure that every day we did something to try to foster our relationship. It could be a simple email, it could be a phone call, it could be a text, and also he was big on, don't just ask, give. If we're not gonna sign a player, let's say it's a minor league player that we feel is undervalued, that we're not gonna be able to sign because we don't have a room, he doesn't fit into our system. Hey, let another team know, okay? Let your competition know, which is like normally a no-no in business and in everything else, but we will do that. We'll let them know, hey, there's a kid playing in the Frontier League, which is a very low level of independent professional baseball. That kid's pretty good. We can't sign him. Go get him. 
And we've we helped the kid. We fostered the relationship. We've helped the other scout, the other yeah. team, and it all works out well. That's great. How many scouts out there do you think subscribe to this philosophy? I think I would say, if I had to give a number, I'd say about 75%. They do. Yeah, okay. I, I do. I think it's the majority, definitely. I think in anything, you'll get guys that are all out for themselves. I mean, and shoot, yeah. I'll fully admit, when I first started out in baseball, I was all about myself. I had to learn to give, to get. I didn't play well in the sandbox, Adam. You know me. You know, I mean, I, I was so damn competitive that I wanted to beat everybody at everything. And first of all, that's just not possible. Second of all, it's not the way to live life. So I've had to learn, learn myself over the years. So what was the epiphany? Well, you asked me to tell a story, so yeah. I, will, I will tell you the story, and, I, and kind of it was an epiphany for me. So 2013, my job with the Diamondbacks when I first started out was simply to do two things, to cover all of independent league baseball, which for the, the fans that are listening to you that don't know, independent league baseball is like, you know, you have the major leagues, you have the, their affiliated minor leagues, and then you have probably about a ton of shit, and then below that is the independent leagues, okay? You know, so it's a very low level of professional baseball, but it's an awesome level of professional baseball because there's talent there. If there's talent there, why didn't they get to the minors? Because it could be anything. It could be off the field issues. It could be, there's always a story with these guys. Yeah. They didn't go to a big school, so they never got seen by scouts because you can't see everybody. It's yeah. actually very hard. So these leagues, they're really pure because they're all about winning. They're not necessarily about development. They're about winning. So it's kind of a real pure form. Yeah, even the of coaches, it. right? Exactly. The coaches will yeah. burn yeah. out their players. To... Absolutely. And me included because I was one of those guys too. We'll tell those stories <laughs> okay. as well too all later right. on. But my two functions were to cover all the independent teams which is about a 1,000 players in the country. It's quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And then to cover the Mexican Winter League, which we can also talk about later on. So while I was covering these leagues, I had to try to see all 1,000 players, which they're not near each other logistically, and yeah. it's hard to just see every player. So anyway, I'm in Florida at a workout called Minor League Free Agent Camp. Okay, It's a, basically a camp full of guys that are trying to make it just independently. They're not even professionals yet. They're guys right out of college trying to make it. And I get a call from a player by the name of David Peralta, who I had spoken to before, who I had talked to, who was playing in an independent league. Anyway, I'm going to try to give you the short version of the story here. He ends up saying, look, I'm in Florida. And I said, I'm in Florida. I haven't really seen you much. Why don't we, why don't I work you out? I asked the guy that was running the event if I could use a cage. David comes up the next day and David brings his father-in-law. He brings his father-in-law's brother and himself and they come up and I work him out in the cage. I spend 45 minutes with him in the cage, those please. Who don't know what working him out. Give me an example. Work, working him out is uh, throwing batting practice to him, yeah. is uh, hitting him ground balls and fly balls, is basically trying to see what his actions are. Mm -hmm. How athletic is he? How does he move around? Things like that. Mm -hmm. So I work him out 45 minutes an hour and uh, I love him. Okay. I love him. I get on the phone. I call our minor league director. W what do you like about him? I like, first of all, he had a great swing, very smooth left-handed swing, very cerebral kid, very much the thought process was there. So in baseball, you want to think before you get into the cage or get up to bat, and then you want to react. He could think, he could slow the game down, and then he could react. Those are the things you look for, okay? It's normally, as a scout, you say, most players are in black and white. Then you see a guy, he's in color. I saw him in color right away. Boom. How important is the other things, the softer skills, if you will? You know, how personality, he, things like yeah, that. How, yeah. is it, how is he as a teammate? How driven is he? His family life, mentally, like how much does that go into? Or is it, are we still too early to get into that? Part? Well, no, it's very important, but it's normally the thing that we research when we're getting ready to sign him. Now, I had had some history with him in that he played for a very good friend of mine. So I had done my due diligence through relationships again. I got on the phone with his manager. His manager's name is Bobby Brown, good friend of mine. Bobby said, I love this kid. Great kid, hardworking, early to the ballpark 
stadium rat, meaning he loves to hang around the ballpark all the time. So I had kind of known a little bit about him. And plus, his father-in-law, he was there. He didn't speak great English at the time, because just to give you a little background on him, he was a draft pick as a pitcher, as a left-handed pitcher by the St. Louis Cardinals. He had gotten hurt. He had decided to become a hitter. And he had gone to these independent leagues and had done pretty well. And hence me getting fast forwarding now to working him out. And his father-in-law reminded me several times during the workout that he is willing to do anything. Okay. He will walk there. He will do whatever. So I said, David, listen, this is the off season at this point when I'm working him out. It's the winter time. I said, David, I don't know what our roster availability is right now, but I'm going to call our minor league director and find out. Call our minor league director. And we really didn't have a spot for him. And one thing, and this is important for the audience to know, if you sign a player that isn't necessarily better than what you already have, you're basically bringing him in to fail. You're not really giving him a op- true opportunity. It's better for him just to stay in the independent league and play. And hence what we were talking about before. Maybe another team comes along and, yeah, get him yeah. and gets him and helps him out. So anyway, fast forward. I called our minor league director. We don't have room. I said, David, listen to me. Stay in touch with me. We can't sign you today. I want to. We can't. We wouldn't be able to give you a fair shake. Go back to the independent league and do your thing, man. And my last thing, I said, stay in touch with me. Gave him the old baseball handshake. Well, I'm driving back in my car to the hotel. David calls. He said, stay in touch with me. Uh, you said, stay in touch with me. I said, hey, yeah, I said, maybe about a day or two past, you know, <laughs> yeah. but, but stay in touch with me. So I said, look, I, nothing's changed since 25 minutes ago, but let's stay in touch. The next day he calls me again. He says, hey, just stay in touch with you, man. Anyway, this went on for three weeks. Okay, weeks and weeks and weeks. Finally, his relatives were calling me. Oh, David said, stay in touch with you. We're all staying in touch with you. But, but this is the great part about it because I'd be lying to you if I wasn't like, damn it, man. I shouldn't have said that, you know. <laughs> well, I put my foot in my mouth again. So weeks and weeks go by. Months go by after this. David's back playing in the independent leagues, killing it. We get an injury, okay, and we now have a spot in our low A team, or excuse me, our high A team, which is, it's A ball, it's low levels, it's a long way from the major leagues. Mike Bell, our minor league director, calls me and says, hey, we can sign him, let's do it. We sign him, we send him to uh, high A ball. What's the distinction in terms of the independent to high A, in terms of the caliber of talent, and even just the remuneration? The league he was playing was called the American Association, and it was very similar level of play. It was very similar. wasn't exact because the level of play always depends on the pitcher that's on the mound that night. Sometimes it could be AAA. Sometimes it could be rookie ball very low. You just you never know. It, it, really? we, we as scouts always say you're only as good as the pitcher that's on the mound that night. So it was a good place for him to go because as a hitter, he had never been at any level other than independent league baseball. So I call him. He goes, instead of saying thank you and all that stuff, in a funny way, he said, I've been waiting for your call for four months. And he goes, don't worry about me. I got this. Okay. So anyway, I'm going to fast forward a little bit. He goes to high A. He does well, finishes out the year. We come back the next year in 2014. He's going to go to double A. Okay. He goes to double A. He's doing very well. Tony LaRussa, the Hall of Fame, great, is my boss, okay? Tony flies into uh, Mobile, Alabama, where our AA team is, Mm -hmm. and basically says, who the hell is this kid, okay? This kid liked him a lot. Everybody liked him at this point, by the way. Everybody in the organization liked him. Great kid. And they were liking him the person, him the player, both. The complete package. Complete package. He was the whole deal. Hardworking, everything that the relationship that I had built before with Bobby Brown, everything Bobby Brown, the manager, had said he was, and even a better player than we had. Anticipated. So anyway, that day that Tony Lewis really likes him, A.J. Pollock, our center fielder in the major league, goes down. 
Who does he think about? Who can replace him? David Peralta. Mm. What does David Peralta do? He goes up to the big leagues. He's been there for now six years. He hit 30 home runs, 300, makes millions and millions of dollars now. And one of the greatest parts of the story was he was working in McDonald's in the offseason. He didn't have any money. He didn't have anything. Now you see his house now. He lives down the road. He's got this giant mansion and everything else. All-star caliber player. We get calls on all the time to trade him, which we won't, as far as I know right now. (laughs) You you never know in this business. But So that was the story I was going to tell you, is this kid's desire to network, but network himself in a way that was never appalling. Okay, yeah. he did it in a way like he did it in an eager, kind, good way. Kept himself in my brain, and it was really special. That's great. That's an awesome story. Can you talk more about how you suggest to people that are listening? What's the tightrope that you walk? What's the fine line in terms of following up? How should you do it? What's the best medium to do it? How often? Yeah. And then how important is that? If you're talented, you do whatever the hell yeah. you want. Yeah. You know right. I mean? like, well, yeah. If you're David Peralta, you keep bothering me. Yeah. yeah. So, But I think for the most part, I've only worked in the baseball industry predominantly my entire life. I think for the most part, guys try to do it respectfully. But I think with social media and all those things, I'm on Instagram and I get bombarded on Instagram. You know, this morning I had 50 messages from players, but they'll start out with, hey, and then nothing else. You know what I mean? There'll be nothing behind it. And Note to the- self, guys. Do not send a text like yeah. that. Okay? Yeah, no, that's um, important. Uh, that's, no, that's important because a lot of guys, and then they'll send, how are you? Question mark. Then another one. Then another. It's too, look, get to the point. Yeah. Okay? Let me know who you are. Send video, I always say, because you can send it through that medium. But I think in networking, I think for me, the biggest thing is get to the point. Why are you reaching out, okay, and do it in a respectful way, but why are you reaching out and what's your deal? Are you a player? Are you an agent? Let's get to the bottom of this thing. We're not going to be friends right away, but we will probably be later on. So I think the biggest mistake they make is they try to be too coy about it, okay? Let's get into it, man. You know what I mean? And I'll give you an example is at the winter meetings, okay, which, again, for the audience that doesn't know what the Major League Baseball winter meetings are, they're probably the largest networking event of Major League Baseball. They are when we go there and we work our trades, and you see it on ESPN and all those other things. It's the biggest time of the year. But it's also the biggest time of the year where people that are outside of the game can try to get into the game. How so? Because young people out of college are going there to go to the job fair that they have there. There's a major job fair there. And during that job fair, there's a, a huge lobby. They can have access to us minor or, or Major League Baseball executives that they can actually ask us questions. Maybe they can interview. Maybe they And again, they're fostering and building relationships. Mm. The biggest mistake they make there is I'll inevitably at some point get a slap on the back from somebody that says, I know somebody you know. Don't do it like that, okay? Or walks up and, and shoves a resume in my face, okay? The greatest thing that I always say is, walk up and respectfully say, look, I'm just trying to get into the game. You got any advice? And I will talk to you and help you forever. Okay. I'll even, when they do it wrong, sit there and talk to them forever because I was there, you know, and I try to educate them on how to properly greet yourself, talk to somebody, greet me, talk to me. And, and you know, it's a give and take. So what about the people that their English is their second language? You must see a lot of that. I do. Thankfully, most of us, especially Spanish, uh, have learned over the years and can comprehend it, understand it, and not necessarily speak it back overly well, but I can understand what they're saying. And I can normally grab somebody that can help us. It's not a deal breaker by any means. It's something that we can get through for sure. Yeah. And then what are the biggest challenges that you're facing on the day to day? My biggest challenge in my job right now, is to try to better our major league team and our minor league system, whether it be through trade or through free agent acquisition, okay? And my biggest hurdle every day in what we do is always trying to beat the scout next to me that does what I do to the punch on a 
particularly for the situation we're in, a really good projectable minor league player. In other words, somebody that's going to be really good in two to five years, finding that dime in the rough, finding that undervalued player with another team and trading for them. Okay. So, and what's the difference? I mean, they're all so good. They are, what are, they are all very good. So what is the differentiator? What's going to stand out to you? Well, the biggest thing is how they can handle themselves under pressure. Okay. okay. Well, let's face it. You're playing in front of twenty to 50,000 people every night, and that does most guys in. Okay. Really? The difference are, we call it a slow heartbeat. The difference is the guy that can really be relaxed in front of the camera, really be relaxed when 50,000 people are calling their name or cheering against them or booing them or whatever. Derek Jeter, one of the slowest heartbeat in the game that I've ever seen. He could slow the game down, and some guys just can't do that. I couldn't do that, okay? I got in there, and the more people cheered or booed, the more angry I got, the more I wanted to do yeah. well, and you got to do the reverse. you got to slow it down. you got to calm yourself. Why meditation is so big now in baseball. Is it? It is. Meditation and getting yourself on an even keel, not too high, not too low, those are the things that typically do them in. Who are some of the people that are doing it in today's game? I just look at our, like, Paul Goldschmidt, okay? Yeah. We just traded him. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 that was a tough call. You yeah. know, I mean, I was taking out my trash the other day, and my neighbor cursed at me, he said, <laughs> which happens to be a lot, you know, when yeah. it comes to, I've been at Yankee Stadium, had ice cream thrown on me because yeah. we're the opposing team, but a guy like him, he was able to, and he was not a high-profile draft pick. Yeah, I remember that. He was a guy that was able to really slow the game down, get better, and be able to get the most out of his abilities because he didn't get too high and too low, and what he's done is amazing. He's my number one example of how guys can handle themselves on and off the field. Total professional, great human. What's the tenure, the average tenure of a professional player? It's roughly four to six years, okay? You know, I mean, it's not a a long time when you average it all out. We talk about the superstars like Paul Goldschmidt that'll play for however long they want, but it's a little longer than the NFL, but it's definitely uh, four to six years in the major leagues, I would say. And then these guys, there's Mexico, there's Japan, there's leagues all around the world that pay very well. So these guys can go play there. Most of the time, they'll play for as long as somebody will pay them because their bodies aren't as beaten up as, say, in football yeah. and other sports. So. And then what are some of the exit strategies that these guys have? What are ancillary things that they can be doing to leverage their stardom? I think one thing that Major League Baseball does really well is you don't read about a lot of Major League Baseball players anymore going bankrupt after no. they're done playing. That's why I have. Just, there's a whole education system. There's a whole back end that Major League Baseball provides and team-by-team provide of financial advisors that are legitimate, making sure they're investing in things that are intelligently thought out, not Mm -hmm. your buddy's car wash or this or that. So I think those are the things that they're doing. But to answer your question, I think the really good players now, what they're doing is they're going into broadcasting. They're taking that charisma, that ability to be calm at home plate, and they're putting it in front of the camera or on the radio station. And I think that's a great thing for these guys to do. They're leveraging their Instagram accounts and everything else into a social media world and a media world, which they're very comfortable with. Yeah, that's cool. Let's rewind a few years. Let's talk business. Yeah. Because I think what you did in the independence and the minors, I think was really cool, great experience. And I want to share what you did with the minor league teams that you owned. Yeah, I was a minor league manager, meaning I was the, most people would call it the head coach, you know what I mean? But a manager in professional baseball is the head coach. So anyway, I was on the field for many years and my first job, I was, uh, got the job to manage in Bangor, Maine. Okay. The team had made a switch with their manager, who's a very good friend of mine, Cash Beecham, you know Cash. Cash. Uh, So they fired my best friend. (laughs) I jumped right in. (laughs) Hence the, but I checked with him first. He goes, no, no, take that job. You should take a job. Well, anyway, about two weeks before the season, about 
about to start, though the team folds. Ran out of money. The owner, this was 2004, excuse me, 2005. The owner didn't want to operate it. So the league came to me and said, look, you're still going to manage the team, but you're going to play 100 games straight on the road. You'll have no home. You're going to be called a road team. You're going to be a road team called the Grays, okay, in the Canadian-American League, the Grays. So I got to manage 100 games on the road without a home, without anything else. Were you playing and managing? No, not at that point in time. I'd gotten done playing, but thank God I wasn't playing. It wouldn't have been pretty. But I got a chance to manage and make mistakes on the job and learn, okay? And I was 28, 29 years old, which is unheard of to be that young and get one of these jobs because they are highly sought after. So anyway, I parlayed that into then managing in St. Joe, Missouri in the American Association, which is a very, very good league as well, too. I did that. Okay, then I got the call to come and manage the Atlantic City Surf, which people from this area will remember. It was a very popular minor league team. So stuff that you did there that I thought was pretty good and more creative was like the halftime shows, the entertainment. I'll get get into that part because I was going to say when I got the chance to manage that team, after my first year, the owner came to me and said, we're going out of business. Okay. It was the recession was in full force, 2007, 2008. And I, he goes, I think we're going to go to business. I said, give me part of the team. I said, I'll take it. I said, I'll do both. I said, I'll be the CEO and the manager on the field, two less people to pay. And I will basically just do this for a chance to be an owner in this thing. So what did we do? We had to get people in the stands. We got the idea to to hire Jose Canseco to fight Vice Ekahima. Okay. We put 7,000 people in the stadium on an off day because that was the whole plan to be able to take over the team and be able to make money off baseball games, hot dogs, hamburgers, beer sales, all that, but also have non-traditional events, concerts, truck shows, anything you could do. William Hung. William Hung, baby. We we hired William Hung on many many occasions to come out there and just entertain the crowd because one of the things that I always realized is there's only so many people that will enjoy nine innings, sometimes more, of a baseball game. You've got to entertain them. And these things we did really began to catch wind and catch fire. And we did well. It wasn't until the city of Atlantic City said, your lease is up and we're not renewing it because we want to build hotels and all that stuff there on Bader Field. But I left there, okay, and got the chance to manage in Brockton, in Brockton, Massachusetts. That's right. I was just the manager at that point. I went from being a part owner and a CEO to being just the manager there. Had a little similar situation there, different in that they weren't out of money, but the owner, Van Schley, who, if you were to ask me tomorrow who one of the greatest influences of my life would be Van, came to skipping me. my questions, man. Yeah, yeah, well, right I, I will, I will. I'll get right. to you. Yeah, yeah. But Van, who we can talk about more, Van said to me, Hey, would you like to take more of a leadership role with this team? He and, had, and had you known Van prior to that? I did know Van. We weren't as close as we became. Why, why are you yelling at me? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As the audience will see, I, I have no concept of how loud my voice. I'm sorry I'm yelling. Yeah. But, We're not in the baseball field, man. Van, you know? <laughs> sorry. So yeah. Van really loved baseball. He's a longtime minor league baseball owner. But he was getting older and he wanted to. I always think he set me up because he saw us. So we were talking about earlier, what did people miss? I think he thought that I could be more than a manager. And he wanted to give me that opportunity. So I got to come in and operate a team and be a part owner in a team. It was me. Bill Murray, Lauren Michaels, Jimmy Fallon, and a bunch of agents and people like that. It was a very high-profile ownership group, very wealthy, high-profile ownership group. And I got to know many of these guys. I became friends with Bill Murray through Van, and Van was the connection to all these guys. People always say, how did you know all these stars? It was Van. He introduced me. 
and we went for, he fostered a relationship. He let his relationships become my relationships. Trust is transferable. Amen. So he built this trust, you built the trust, his trust transferred over to you, which transferred over to them. Sorry to interrupt. No, that, that's yeah. exactly right. It's a yeah. big point because I have never had this conversation with Van, but I'm going to. I believe he did this on purpose because he thought, hey, I'm going to pass the torch a little bit. So we were able to get that team on some steady ground and we eventually changed leagues and I started a league called the Futures Collegiate League. And we moved that team into a collegiate league. Who was your coach? At Brockton. Bill Buckner, okay? So I've been fortunate on two occasions. One, I signed Cecil Fielder, who's one of my dearest friends in the world, to manage Atlantic City after Cecil I stepped off the Cecil hasn't gotten back to me, by the way. Cecil. 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 Come on now. You, you, you know, I love him more than anybody. you got to call Adam, okay? <laughs> Sorry. No, no pressure. He's gonna, he'll get a text when I get finished with this. Yeah. But, so I hired Cecil. Yeah. Uh, he managed Atlantic City. did a great job. Brockton is just outside of Boston. Everybody knows about the ball between the legs play with Bill Buckner. Bill had stayed away from baseball. When I was going to step off the field and just run the Brockton Rocks full-time, we all sat down and I said, what about Bill Buckner? And everybody's like, Bill hasn't been heard from and since all this stuff. Yeah. you know, Bill doesn't want to be heard from. So I called him in Boise, Idaho. We had a mutual friend and Bill said, I'm in. And he came out and he managed and did a great job. Really good really job. Really yeah, great job. Great guy. And from that, by the way, he went on and stayed in the game. He recently retired again, but it brought him back to the game and it was a very popular move on my part. So that was something that I was able to do to help the game out and a person out too. So it was good. That's cool. Yeah. That was good. So from there, then what happened? So when did uh, Nantucket? Or, yeah. So uh, from there, this league that I mentioned before, the Futures Collegiate oh, League, right. um, okay. I decided after we had sold Brockton to kind of go full force into developing this Futures Collegiate League. We put a team on Martha's Vineyard called the Martha's Vineyard Sharks, which it was funny. And I'll tell you this. I stopped at the mobile station on my way down here on 684. And there was a guy with a Martha's Vineyard hat and a shirt next to me filling up his car. So we spoke for a little bit. And it's always great to see that branding and those yeah. things. So that's one thing outside of baseball. I love the branding side and the overall ability to get the word out there about a team that no one otherwise would know about. Martha's Vineyard's great, but you think of the Black Dog when you're there. Now people think of the Black Dog and the Martha's sure, Vineyard Sharks. So sure. we developed the Martha's Vineyard Sharks into a collegiate powerhouse. So it really draws well. And for people that don't realize, if you get a thousand people a game at a summer collegiate baseball oh, game, yeah. first of all, it's an amazing feat. Second of all, it's a different stadium than what it was. It, it used to be it, like the high school, right? We yeah, we, we, we took a high school stadium and slowly but surely, with yeah. very little funds, built it up for the community to be able to use too. And that, by the way, that was always my thing with baseball stadiums. We did it in Torrington. Yeah, I remember. Did, did, I remember did it that. in Torrington. Yep. We did it in a, a bunch of other places in Worcester, Massachusetts, places like that. My whole feeling was that baseball is great, yes, and baseball players are great. But the thing that baseball at the minor league level and at the summer collegiate level was always missing was they weren't making it a gathering place, a place to network, a place to come in. Because I felt if I could get the business owners there to connect with their clientele, over a hot dog and a beer, mm. what better way, okay, yeah. to really network than that right yeah. there? So we were really successful and still continue to be able to do those things. And that league is thriving. And in 2011, I got the opportunity to go over to Italy and purchase an Italian professional team. Yeah, what made you and, do that? That was such uh, a, I uh, pompous, I was, I was thinking, okay, thinking yeah. I could fix anything. It was a team that was in trouble. And, and baseball uh, big in Italy? Not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to make it big, but we went over there and, you know, listen, I'm I'm an entrepreneur at heart, as you can hear. I'm a baseball entrepreneur is kind of how I always describe myself. And I've had major successes and major failures like everybody that's in business and in life. And that was not a success. Okay. Mm -hmm. That was one of those things where I thought I was going to be able to get the Italians to sit in a chair 
eat a hot dog and drink a glass of wine without realizing that they will not do that. (laughs) That will not happen. So we pulled out of there after a year and basically said, this isn't going to work. Immediately after I pulled out of there, I got the call from the Arizona Diamondbacks from Kevin Towers, who said, hey, I've noticed what you've done on the field. I've noticed how you've been able to find players. Because when I was an independent league manager, I was kind of known for being able to, almost like a used car salesman, be able to get a player, like an old car, fix them up, turn them out, and sell them back to a major league organization. He said, I love the way that you did that. We want you on our team. Can you come in and can you scout for us? And I was like, heck yeah, I'm ready to go. It all worked out. All right, so then did you have to... Were you able to just transition quickly, or what was the ramp-up period? What I the- sucked, Adam, really? in the beginning. Okay. I was yeah. awful, okay? And I talk to companies about this all the time. Like the minor leagues, you, where we have to foster talent, we have to develop. I needed to be fostered. I needed to be developed. I was coming from a rogue league uh, where I did whatever the hell I want. If I made a mistake, nobody cared. I had gotten to a point where I was kind of bulletproof at that level. Now, at the major league level, it's a different story, okay? Yeah, they sure. weren't used to, first of all, my personality, which is everybody can hear, can wear on people at times. Yeah. You know, <laughs> They weren't used to maybe my way of doing things. And I had to change. I had to be able to be more professional in a major league environment, but also not lose my personality either because we got to be ourselves. Yeah. So it was a learning curve for me, Adam. Oh. I'll be honest with you. But one thing I always say is I can adapt. If you set forth some expectations, I can adapt and still be happy doing so. Did someone take you under their wing? Where I spoke earlier about maybe in high school, we didn't have a whole lot of great influence. In my adult life, it's been the exact opposite. The Vans of the world, the Kevin Towers of the world, the Dave Stewart's of the world, guys like that. Dave Stewart, picture of Toronto. Yeah, he was our GM after Kevin Towers. He really, really took me in and taught me a lot and showed me different sides of the game from a Hall of Famer type of of aspect. So him and Tony the Rooster really were, I mean, they talk on a different level, okay? They go back to the A's. they, they They all go back to the A's together and and the Cardinals somewhat, but I was dealing with people at a much higher level of, first of all, of intelligence and of baseball IQ. And one of the things you sent me over, and I'm going to answer a question before you're probably going to ask it, and I apologize about that, but that's, you know my personality. You know my personality. Is, you might want to just go switching back and forth if you want from here to there. Yeah. One of the questions was, what would you have done differently? I would have shut the fuck up is what I would have done. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Right. And listened, you know, yeah. and I pardon my French, and I know from listening to your shows and stalking it, I know I could say one or two. <laughs> but as a younger man, I would have shut up more, okay? And I was Younger fort- man where? What part uh, of your life? Probably. Probably uh, high school, college, and then thereafter, I would have, it would have been about a long time, I would have not tried to know everything and self-teach myself everything, I would have tried to seek out a mentor more, okay, Mm -hmm. I didn't do that, that was my own fault, and part of me, because I didn't have a lot of great influences, part of me was probably afraid to put myself out there like that, Mm -hmm. so what I did was, when I worked for the Tony La and let me say this, I've been through so many different leaders with the Diamondbacks, three GMs and several other people along the way. The guys I work for now and the guys I work for in the past have all been great. And the guys now are my age, okay? Mike Hazen, who's our GM, Jared Porter, Jason Parks. These are some of the smartest guys that I've ever been around, including some of the people I mentioned before. So I've had so many great influence. And I now, I sit and I listen to them. I learned to be the last person in the room to speak instead of the first person. That was some great advice that I had gotten. Just wait a minute to formulate your opinion. Listen to what other people have to say. Those are the mistakes that I made early on that I now still have to remind myself of, but I've gotten a lot better at. Yeah. So you touched on a really important point in terms of mentorship. And almost most of the successful people that I've had in the show are just let know in general attribute 
that is it's so important. And some of them got it early and some of them got it late. Do you do anything with some of the players now? Do you try to encourage them to find a mentor? Do you help them get mentors? Is there elaborate? The answer is yes. But one thing I will say is Major League Baseball, Major League Baseball teams in general are so, this is one of the reasons why I want you to talk to our people is because they are so on the same page with you as, and from an organizational standpoint that our ex-players come back all the time to come talk to our current teams. And then our major league team mentors our, our minor league team. And then our minor league team will mentor the new draft picks. There's a whole system so in place now. Oh, it is. But on the other side, I try to mentor anybody I can that is either trying to get into the game in the front office or just now getting into the game in the front office because I remember how it was. And sometimes we as baseball executives can be a little standoffish because we're busy and we don't look after the needs of the guy coming in. We almost make it like a hazing a little bit sometimes, yeah. which now I look back at it as it's idiotic. You know what I mean? <laughs> we should be doing everything we can, and we are doing everything we can to get the most out of the people that are coming in. It's about development, Adam. Whether you're IBM, Pepsi, or the Arizona Diamondbacks, or network-wise, you have to be able to develop the people that are working for you. And if we can't do that, we're failures. Yeah. We'll rejoin our conversation in just a moment. If you're enjoying this podcast as well as our other episodes, please support us using Patreon. Just visit patreon.com slash networkwise. All patrons will receive early access to podcasts and exclusive networking advice. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash networkwise. Thanks for listening, and now let's rejoin the show. How has the game changed? Lots, lots. I've seen a change over my... Yeah, I would think that you've been at a really pivotal time. And I always say this, Adam. I think when we grew up, and for the audience, we're 44, okay? We grew up as the computer era was coming in, but right before you couldn't be on your social media was destroying everything. And thank God, a lot of the things that we did as youngsters isn't out there. Yes. So I think where I have changed is, first of all, I've gotten a lot more tech savvy. Okay. I understand the sabermetric side of baseball enough because I didn't fight it coming in because we had so much of that growing up of, Hey, computers are coming in. This is going to be a tech driven world. We get that end of it. So where I have changed is I have embraced the informational side of the sabermetrics part of the game. And that's where it's changed the most. Because it used to be you were a scout, you walk into a major league stadium. I'm going to explain the difference in a minute because a lot of your audience probably doesn't understand the difference between a major league scout and an amateur scout. We should say that in a minute. I will. We used to walk into a stadium and just basically say, I like that guy. Here's my report. Boom. And either your general manager would say, I agree with you or I don't. And that would be it. Now we go in there and we say, look, this is who I want. This is why I want them. This is the way I think we can get them. And then what they do is they go back and they take everything that I said and they look at the numbers. Okay. Do the numbers justify what you're saying? And I love that. Okay. A lot of people don't like that. I'm not afraid to be second guessed. Okay. There's two things in my life I'm not afraid of. One is starting over. Okay. If I lost everything I ever had tomorrow, I'd put roll up my sleeves and I'd grind it again. Okay. That's, I've never lost that fear of losing yeah. it because I get a lot of time, especially on social media. Oh, now you're out there helping everybody. You're 44. You made some money. You're in the working in the big leagues, this and that. Yeah. The pressure's off. Now you're going to be a nice guy. You know what? You're right. <laughs> I own it, man. You know what I mean? So, you know, not afraid of that. And I'm not afraid of being second guessed when it comes to what I I believe as a player. 
because opinions are good. Opposing opinions are good. I think, and I'm not going to stand on a pedestal here, but I think that's something we, especially in America right now, have lost, especially when it comes to the politics, is being able to listen to another person's side, see their points, and say, listen, I agree to disagree with you, but there were some really good points in there, and I'm going to use some of them. You know? So let's transition into politics, not politics like you mentioned but politics of baseball yeah is, is there a lot how important is it i mean everything's under a microscope yeah um, i would think uh, it'd be a little more difficult than it is there's a like and social media has changed a lot players have to be really careful of the things they've said 10 15 years ago and things get brought up on twitter all the time and on facebook and on instagram and the political side of the game has changed a lot because they could find those things that they did in high school and and bring them back up. There were several players recently that had said very stupid, insensitive tweets, but they were 15s, 18, whatever they were. Thank God most people, the players owned it. That's one thing that Major League Baseball is like, own it, say you're sorry, and how are you fixing it? Okay. So the political side of baseball, these guys have really been taught. Once they get signed, once they get in, this is good, this is bad. Okay. Don't get on Twitter and take a political side. Okay. It's just not worth it right now. You know what I mean? Have your views, respect other people's, but they know what to say now, what not to say, and what to stay away from. Well, what about the politics, though, of baseball? Forget about, yeah. hey, you know someone, how important is it to know somebody versus just the pure talent? If you're a good player and you're a high profile player, meaning that you went to a big time college or you're a high round draft pick, the politicking side is not that big of a deal. You're you're getting it anyway, okay? There's enough things out there that are promoting you and pushing your name. Where the politicking side is important is if you're the second and third tier player, player that played at a small college, player that maybe played in an independent league. And so like for to, to cut you off, like let's use Peralta, for yeah. example. How important was his relationship with you to him getting to him making it? Well, what he was smart about was he contacted me, but before he contacted me, he had his manager, who I knew really well. He connected the dots, Adam, uh, as we talk about all the time. Uh, like because that. if he just called me, again, I might have been busy, I might have, but when his manager called me, and trust there was a direct line, trust is transferable, Adam, and he connected the dots in a respectful way. So I knew about him now, and I had somebody that I enjoyed or trusted, I should say, uh, vouching for him. So the way he politicked was correct. Sometimes players don't have a mutual connection, okay? They just don't. But there's pretty much many things in baseball that can help you politic. One, being in a league and putting up good numbers, okay? If you call me and you say, hey, I've had kids call me and say, are you on your computer right now? Not even give me their names. Are you on your computer right now? And say, yeah. Can I give you my name? And I'll pull them up on baseball reference. Mm -hmm. And their stat line is really good. Hey, (laughs) (laughs) and I've had the reverse. I've had a player call me up and say, hey, I really think you should sign me. And I'll say, hang on, what's your name? And I'll pull them up. And I say, you hit 120 in the California Winter League. This isn't going to work. You know what I mean? So you got to be realistic too. So, But again, I do see more players now now politicking the right way. I pass your podcast on to everybody I can. You know, because I think it's so important for these guys to understand and learn this. And I've had players really listen to it and get back to me and say, I get that. This is how I should have been doing it. I made this mistake. I made we have one of the things that you and I share, we have all made a million mistakes. Okay. Oh no. A million and a half. (laughs) Hopefully our kids aren't ever going to know about anything. But uh, we have to be willing to own that. We have to be willing to pay it forward and hopefully they'll learn from our mistakes. Yeah. So what are the other things that you're having them do outside of baseball to make themselves better. Listen. Obviously, little relationship skills, but are there other things that you're recommending that they do? Because their time's tough, right? It, I mean, these is, guys are... Is. They're working so hard to do that. They're not really making enough money to get by. Like you said, Peralta's working at McDonald's. Yep. And yep. You know, uh, we all know the Kurt Warner story. Absolutely. Football yep. And, yep. You know. I'm always pushing guys to educate themselves. But my first thing I ask guys, are you meditating? 
It's the first thing I asked them because you're geared up so often in sports, in the sports world. And I know we'll get into later, but I'm on the road a lot. So and that's stressful in itself. So if I didn't meditate, I wouldn't be able to function. If they learn to meditate, they'll learn inevitably to do what we talked about before, which is slow the game down, slow themselves down. So that's a big thing that when they ask me for advice, and again, that's one of the best ways to network for me, when they walk up to me and say, listen, you've been in the game a long time. I know your story. And I was very lucky. My story got publicized early because of David Peralta in many publications across the world. And these kids read it and they now say, I've got a chance if I talk to this guy. So they'll come up to me and say, what advice will you give me? And the first thing is always meditate. The second part is educate yourself. And then the third thing, you know, which you may think is a little crazy. I said, everything you need to know about life, you already learned in baseball. You learned how to show up on time. You learned how to bust your butt. You learned how to live in a small space with a lot of guys and respect them. Living in a clubhouse or being in a clubhouse, when it's a very tight area, you've got to respect the space of the guy next to you. You've got to travel in a bus sitting next to a guy that if he smells, it's not good. You know what I mean? But learning to coexist, learning all the things that baseball taught you, take it to business. That's normally the thing that I tell guys Mm -hmm. that are looking for their life after baseball. You already know it. It's already here. Coaches taught you these things. I've taught you these things. Meditate, take everything you learned in baseball, and now apply it to your life. You know, kindness, respect, those things. What have you seen some of the guys that have matriculated through your system, meaning back to your guys that you played with in minors, guys that you've coached? What have you seen some of them turn into? I mean, well, first of all, Facebook and all this stuff is great because you get to see what everybody's doing now. And I have to say the vast majority of the guys that either played for me or I signed or maybe they didn't make it to the major leagues. And I'm going to talk about non-major leaguers right now because, listen, you play a few years in the big leagues. You don't have a lot to worry about afterwards. If you manage your money right, you're really not going to have to work hard the rest of your life. But a minor league guy may not have made that money. So now I see them. I've had doctors, kids that go back to school that become doctors, dentists, kids that start their own. I call them kids. I'm dating myself. But they start something, a lot of baseball academies like that. But they start something to bring value to life because they understand how it is to set a goal and work towards that goal. Because that's what baseball is. It's all built on. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say the vast majority have been super, super successful in their own right. Maybe they're not millionaires or billionaires, but they are really hardworking, valuable members of society. That's great. And then how often do you stay in touch with these people? As much as possible, as much as possible, because inevitably I'm a lot of times the guy that people will go to to say, how do I get into the game? What do I do? What's my first step? And I normally try to give them the best advice possible. And this will go to you. I trust them. So I'm able to introduce them to people that I know. What I don't like is when I do it and they don't follow up. uh, (laughs) So let's talk about that. So what would be your expectation? Somebody reaches out to you, you're impressed with them. You're like, yeah, you know, this is a good kid. This has got some potential. And then you facilitate an introduction. Talk about that. Well, the first thing, and again, it happens all the time. Okay. Now, the best kind of thing is when a former major leaguer, say, reaches out and says, maybe he wasn't an all-star or anything, but I want to work. And I want to work in baseball, okay? And the best thing for me is I normally check right away with our front office. Hey, do we have any needs to foster or to build this kid up to really try to, maybe it's an internship, to really try to get him in a position where we can teach him? Most of the time, there's so few jobs, so it's very hard. So after that, I start reaching out to my friends with other teams. Hey, do you guys have anything available? Is there anything open? Can you talk to this kid? Normally, I try to do that. It's normally through a mass email. We keep an internal kind of a mass email with a bunch of guys that I know, and we're always trying to throw names out there. And normally what I do, and you're going to like this, I say, listen, call this guy, okay? This guy can help you. 
and I'll follow up with the guy they're supposed to call in 24 to 48 hours. And if they didn't call him, I'd like to say that I let it go. No, I call the player and say, what the hell is wrong with you? Call this guy. Yeah. This isn't wait next week. This is get it done now uh, right. because these jobs are sought after. So you have them call and then what would your be your next expectation after they've called? You've made the introduction. You've put your name behind them. Yep. You've said, okay, here you go. Now let's say they call. I would expect them to call and ask how they can bring value to something that person is in need of. How can I help you? Okay. Yep. That is the first thing. And I tell them to do that. I tell yep. them, look, see if you can help. Maybe you were a pitcher and you're going to ask that person that I introduced you. Hey, do you have any pitchers that are rehabbing that maybe are in high profile guys that you don't have enough staff to be able to work with? I want those guys. Listen, Adam, as a baseball man, as an entrepreneur, I am and you are, we are professional firefighters. You know that, okay? We had to learn to do everything and players have to learn and non-players who want to work in baseball have to learn to do anything. So no job is too small. Ask how you can bring value. Ask if you can meet with them. And if you can't, how do we stay in touch? What is another way that, because I don't want to pester you, sir. And I I love it when people say that. They don't mean it. They really want to pester me. I get it. But at least play the game game right. Because when he says that, I immediately go, okay, this kid isn't a stalker. This kid isn't somebody that's going to drive me up the wall. He really wants this. So bring value. Is there anybody he can maybe introduce you to that person to bridge another connection? Is there anybody I know that I played with? An example. This is a good example. So I had a player reach out to me a few years back and say, like, I really want to work in the front office. I'm done playing. I'm not going to say the team, but I connected him with a team and they didn't hire him. Okay. Right away. But he stayed in touch with the connection that I had helped him with. Anyway, this young man's very good friend was a high profile major leaguer, all-star going to be a hall of famer one day. That person with the major league team needed somebody to speak at his son's hot stove dinner. That young man that I introduced him to bridged the gap with his friend. They became friends. Okay. My friend, I know there's a lot of friends here, but my friend ended up then getting the job with that team, okay, Mm -hmm. because he bridged the gap. He brought value. He made a connection. He made the connection. He brought value. He stayed in touch. He's a super connector, and he did what was asked. This kid has a very high-profile job now. So that's those are the guys that win. What was the lifespan of that, what you just expected? Like, how long did that take? All those things. I'm going to say three years, okay? It wasn't quick, okay? But that's going, building a relationship, providing value nurturing the relationship value you know everything you said and i tell kids this all the time i say listen this isn't going to happen overnight for you it is going to take you years to really build that relationship and one thing i I also remind them is this a lot of people say life is short which we're getting older it is a little bit life is actually net reality is pretty long okay so take your time build the relationship foster the relationship and have fun with the timeline of building it and then you'll get to the outcome And again, the older I get, I'm less about what I'm going to do next and more about what I'm doing just right now. Am I bringing value? Am I doing the right thing by the people around me? And I try to pass that along too. That's great. That's absolutely great. What would some of your old coaches or people that have worked with you, what would they say about what it's like to work with you or how would they describe you? (laughs) I think early on, they would have described the kid that was just his hair and I have none, which is why I'm wearing a hat. It's because (laughs) I'm freezing in New York right now. The only reason, by the way, or New Jersey, the only reason I would ever come here was to see you in the wintertime. For those of you don't know. I live in Scottsdale, Arizona, where it's beautiful 70 degrees. But I think they would say that I was a misguided kid with his hair on fire who really just didn't have any sense of direction. But they would always say that I worked hard. I played hard. I showed up on time. I busted my butt. The things that I can control, I did control. The things that I couldn't control drove me crazy. Like example, my coach didn't play me in college. Phil, 
<laughs> First place, don't call me Phil. Okay, <laughs> coach. Okay, yeah. why am I not playing today? Well, you're you're over fifteen. You know, <laughs> I would say, okay, no problem. I would come back with facts on why I was over fifteen, and you know, what because you know, I'm the kind of person that yeah. again, I can be pushy, and I know that about myself. And I think they would say that I'm very pushy and all this. But I think later now in life, I think a lot of people would say, boy, he's pretty patient. He remembers what it's like to be like us. I hope they say that. They'll probably say I'm an asshole. <laughs> but, but you know, so but you stay in touch with a lot of these guys from years. I, I, I mean, even just. Like how you put Adam. Me, yeah, Adam, I, and again, this is important for your audience. I stay in touch with people that know I don't necessarily like them. Because you know what? They bring value too. Okay, maybe we're not going to share a beer together, but there's some value there. And not liking a person isn't a reason not to network with them. Hey, so now, that's, that, a, that's actually a very good point. If they're a bad person and they're going to hurt you, yes, yeah, stay away. That's a yeah. different story. But I'm talking about people that just, they rub you the wrong way. They're One of the things that I've learned in life is that, yes, like-minded people find each other, and it's typically a good thing. But also, people that aren't like-minded are very valuable and very good to have in your Rolodex. Because when I want to ask a real opinion of something that I I'll call you because I know you'll tell me exactly what I want. Or I'll call somebody that maybe isn't nearly as close to me as you are because I know that they don't care about my feelings at the end of the day. They'll just tell me the God's honest truth, and that's what I want to hear. So I think you've got to network with everybody. I think you've got to plan it out in your life to where you're receptive to everything and close to nothing. And that outcome thing, I've learned to not worry about that outcome thing. Whatever is going to happen in my life, again, Twitter, they'll yell at me later, say, you made a few dollars, so now he's not going to to be all nice. But I really think that it's just about now. It's just about, I am all, and what I love about your show, everybody that comes on the show, there is a kind of a common theme here. They're in it to help the people around them. I am absolutely in this now. But yes, I want benefits and I want things that are going to help me, but I want to help other people first, okay? And whether that come, what goes around comes around or it doesn't, I'm okay with that. I just want to be of service to others. Dude, you know, Brandon Steiner was on the show and he had a quote. I love this quote. I'm sure I'm going to Great fast yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He says, do as much as you can for as many people as you can, as often as you can, and expect nothing. That's it. And it's key to life. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's, it's amazing. And again, most people will let you down. Absolutely. But the, all you need is like analogous, whatever that word is, to baseball. <laughs> yeah, analogous. Yeah, yeah. First day with my new tongue. Yep, yeah. Uh, <laughs> is that, listen, if three out of ten people you've done something nice for, then you're in the Hall of Fame of relationships. It's a game of failure, okay? Yeah. And I think the relationship game and the game of baseball, when you look at it statistically, I'm sure it's very close, okay? Because yeah. you are going to fail way more than you're going to succeed. And we're okay with that. I get all these accolades for trades and things like that, but a lot of times they didn't see how many times I failed, how many guys that I signed that were terrible. Yeah. Sorry, you know. <laughs> I'll get blown up on Twitter yeah. about that later. But, you know, that's okay. You fail, you succeed, you fail, you succeed. And, you know, that's life. You brought up something interesting that makes me think, statistically or hey again they say you fail seven out of ten times you're a hall of famer what about from the scouting standpoint what's your ratio to being deemed a success yeah the ratios are tough and i'll say yeah, why there, is is well, there, there, yeah. there isn't an exact ratio yeah. but, but i'll tell you how you know if you're doing a good job the ratios are hard because 99 percent of everything you do and everything we report on never actually happens so you don't know if that guy that you didn't trade for because your general manager or the owner of the team didn't want to do if it really would have worked with you because there are times i'll write a report and say this guy is hitting 200 with the oakland a's but i believe in our system he will thrive okay here's why or a ballpark or this or that or but it never happens so you don't know the success ratio The way that you know that you are a success in my job is if the trades, if the free agent acquisitions, if they're happening. 
Because there are sometimes that I write something, I send it in, and then the next morning I will get a text that says, hey, the deal is done, okay? It's that quick. We traded for them last night, we got them, we signed them, this and that, boom. There are times I put it in there and I pour my guts out on a report. We gotta get this guy, we gotta get this guy. We never talk about it again. <laughs> yeah. So you can't wear your heart on your sleeve in this business, you yeah. know? So in, in, in any business, let's face it. So there's no exact ratio, but that's how you know you're getting the guys that you're writing about. Yeah. So what do you say we go with some random questions? Yeah. So something that I do that has become a hit amongst the guests. I don't know about the listeners, but yeah, the guests. Yeah, it's all about the sound of Yeah. So I got some random questions just alone at Roan, uh, written out here, I should say. Mm-hmm. Close your eyes and just put your finger on a couple. Oh, let me get them all out there. Go for it. Just put your finger anywhere. And let's see what we got here. What were you hoping that I would ask you today? Oh, you know, and it's one thing that I brought up earlier because the audience should know this because most people that don't work or don't understand baseball don't realize the difference. So you have, in what I do, you have pro major league scout, which is what I am, meaning I scout oh, yeah, the yeah. major and the minor leagues for free agents and, like I said before, trade candidates. Then you have an amateur scout. They're the ones that see the high schools, the colleges, the younger players. They're the ones that oversee the draft. Because I always get asked that about the draft. Mm-hmm. And I get every father in America that reaches out to me. And so you're so removed from that. I, I'm removed from that. But I still try to give advice to those fathers. So I am a dad. Okay. And it's one of the things I'm most proud of is that I'm, the advice I give is more about controlling what your child can control on the field, which is his attitude, his hustle, his heart, all those things. I still try to give them advice, but I have nothing to do with that end of it. So that's something that I wanted to make clear on this. Because a lot of people don't get, they see their son playing in high school in a scout game. They just assume that it's yeah. all. Yeah. I, I have literally never uh, scouted a high school or a college game in my life. I, those scouts are so good that do that kind of thing because they're projecting 10, 15 years. I have the utmost respect for those guys. I wouldn't do that. You know? yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. so here, you know what I'm going to do? Yeah. I'm going to text our friends. Okay. I love it. I love it. You know, in the spirit of what you did last night, I I feel like I got it. You have to. I want to know what they're going to want to know. All right. I'm going to say. Hey guys. My OCD is kicking in. Yeah. On the podcast live with Nooch right now. Give me a question to ask him. We are live. All right, let's see. While they're doing that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know this is going to yeah, be Yeah, this will be good. I love, I love it. It's a great you idea. Said, you hey, said you said I have open everything. Yeah, so, yeah, right, yeah, cool. While they're doing that, pick it up. Go, yeah, drop it down. Let's see what we got here. Okay, cool. Oh, this feeds from another one. Can you tell me something you did for someone, and in what way did something you did by leveraging your network benefit somebody else? Meaning, like, you kind of answered that before by giving yeah. some example. But if there's anyone else that you can think of. It, it happens constantly. But yeah. there, you guys wouldn't know the names. But there have been many, many guys that I managed against in independent baseball mm-hmm. that are now managing in the major leagues or in the higher levels of minor leagues because I was able to connect them with the people that I know. So, in other words, when I managed and coached against somebody, I always respected the guys that were really tough. And I always wanted them to be on this side of it. I never forgot that. I would write those names down because I kind of I had a feeling that I would be where I, where at I am point, at some point. So I always wrote those names down. You get that feeling sometimes yeah, yeah. that you know that you're destined for maybe a little who, more. Who are some of the people? Are you, are you allowed to say names of people? Yeah, I, I'm probably not allowed to say okay, the names because of where they are. Yep. But yeah, yeah okay. but they're really good people. I wish I could. You know? yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so what I think is really interesting is that you guys aren't allowed as scouts 
even your own internal scouts. Are you yeah. allowed to talk about that? Yeah, I, I can talk about that. You okay. know, so, yeah, so, so you know, a lot of times when it comes to like our reports and things mm-hmm. like that, my counterpart or the person that's seeing other teams with me, we're not sharing information with each other because the organization wouldn't want that to skew the way that we write a report. Mm-hmm. So I can't see somebody else's report on the same player I might have seen that he has, or hopefully she has, because I do believe that females will. will I was going uh, to get I, into I, that. I am all for it. We will get into that because okay. okay. I, I am probably not popular when I say this a lot of times, but I do. And I always say, how can a man with three girls or a man like you with two girls not want to see women hold high positions in the game of baseball or are there, anything? Are there unless. any in there? There are, there are, yeah. there are, and there are a few female scouts. There are a few female executives, but it's getting more and more prevalent every day. And I'm all for it. So okay. with the scouts, I would think that would be very difficult because softball and baseball are different games. Well, they, they are. are. But also, but, and, and this is my, that I say to that is we have guys that have never put on a jockstrap scouting and doing what I do. How, how are oh, they really? different? Yeah. So, so how are, what qualified them to... Research, development. I don't think it's any different than somebody else that might not have played at a high level. I didn't play in the big leagues. I didn't play a higher minor league level. I played independent baseball. So yeah. you got to give people a chance. And again, you've got to build a person up, you've got to teach them. And I'm all for teaching them. So. Good stuff. So we got our first question. All right. Yeah. What's well, our second one? First one, I think it's great. And uh, So Chico says, well, I haven't listened yet. Okay. <laughs> no one has, <laughs> just for the record. Typical Rich, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So Sean Kayleen asks, what is your best high school baseball memory? Oh, this is an easy one for oh, me. Really? Um, wow. Yeah, right off yeah. The top um, of your, okay. And you were there, and Rich was there, yep. and uh, when we beat Fox Lane, which uh, time we were playing in the town Bedford. park, Bedford, Bedford, Bedford Hills, uh, that park there, Love and park. Uh, our good buddy Paulo was on the other team, yeah. great dude, and all of our friends were because hey, it was so almost Friday, like what it was a Friday, I, Friday night, night yeah. almost like what I described before. We grew up playing with those guys, but there was a competition there. There was that, and I want to get into something in a minute after this, but there was that idea that this was for all the marbles, this was for bragging rights, so that was my greatest high school memory us beating them great crowd all those things we never lost to them i didn't even realize that we never, never did lost. okay okay so, yeah, so, so maybe i'm culminating all of them together but yeah all of them were great it was just great and i don't even remember if i did anything but just beating them was great yeah you know, that part of it but one of the things that i wanted to mention from this is that idea that we can compete together on the field, hate each other in competition, but let it go when we're done, is something more people have to have, and especially in business. You have to be able to compete, fight, scratch, claw, and then see each other later. What's up? How you doing? How's yeah. everything? How's it going? You yeah. know? There's an interesting, I think it's Frank Shamrock, the MMA guy. Okay. So you guy had a crazy childhood, crazy story, and jail i mean just being from i mean just really crazy but so a guy that brought him in and fostered him is a guy by the name of bob shamrock and what bob used to do he would bring in all these troubled kids together and he'd have like 20 of them yeah and they'd be living and a lot of times they wouldn't get along so he'd say forget about you're not just going to fight and just go out of here what he would do is he'd bring all the kids into a pool and they'd fight in a pool okay and then what they would do and then whenever it was done you're done. You no, got it finished. out. Yeah. And then there was a mandatory, I forgot if it was a hug or a handshake yeah, or something. Yeah. So to your point, okay, there's... Let, the, it, let it go, yeah. man. You know what I mean? Hey, but don't lose that sense of competition. Yeah. Don't lose that ability to want to win. Listen, one of the things, greatest things sports ever taught me was I don't ever want to be a good loser, okay? Because if you have a good loser, you're a loser. You uh-huh. know what I mean? So if, if you're you, not first, you're last. <laughs> if you're not first, you're last. The great words of Ricky Bobby. Ricky Bobby. Uh, yeah. You know, but I do think there's a humility and a grace to losing that we... As men really especially need to learn. And I think that's one thing that I've learned how to lose, not like it, but I've learned how to lose with some grace because I've lost a lot. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's all right. So, and you got to be able to do it. Nice. So, so I want to do uh, one more question yep. here. I know that you got a flight. Yep. 
Well, let's do one random question, then I'll check to see if any of those knuckleheads got it. All right, let's see what we got here. What would you say is one of your most defining moments? Oh, you know what I would say? And again, this kind of goes back to some people on Twitter and on uh, Instagram, places like that. They sometimes look at where you are now and they forget where you came from. Mm. And my wife knows this and you know, my wife's my greatest asset. She's an amazing lady. Yeah. But if somebody says, oh man, you got lucky. Uh, I, I want to fight him, okay? Because one defining moment was 2013, right before I signed David Peralta, I had been on a, like a 30-day road trip, okay? And at that point, I was literally driving in a car across America, just stopping and seeing these independent league professional players play. And there were several times that I couldn't find a hotel and I just slept in my car. And there were times that I'm sitting in there going, what the hell am I doing? Why am I sleeping in my car, for God's sakes? And just continuing to do this. And I I said, you know why I'm doing this? Because this is fucking awesome, okay? And I realized at that point, I was exactly where I wanted to be. It wasn't me talking myself into it. I realized this. I wouldn't be sleeping in my car. I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't love and embrace all this. So at that point, 2013, I decided to embrace the imperfection of everything in life and the imperfection of everything in the business and go with it. You yeah. know? So that was a defining moment. That's awesome. So it's funny because talking about people say about being lucky. Well, luck is the residue of hard work. Amen. It and is. What's really interesting, and to tie it back to network, is they've done studies and it's a scientific fact that people with more robust connections and contacts are scientifically significantly more quote-unquote lucky because your odds by having these types of relationships expand exponentially as a result of those relationships. So I can honestly say in my wife Lori and I's life she's in the network marketing field okay and she's mm. tremendous at it. Networking is what we talk about all the time. And it's not, are we networking today? It's not no, like that. No, no, it's a common flow of, hey, did you check in with so-and-so? Did you, Chris, did you check in with yeah, that? Yeah, Lori's great. Yeah. She's fantastic. She, she is. She's I, the I, queen. I, I, I always say this, I guarantee and I challenge anybody to find a better wife than I have, okay? Yeah. I mean, I best in the world. So, yeah. But we talk about, are we fostering our relationships? And what, not what they can do for us, what we can do for them. That's the key, I think. You You're 100% right. Oh boy, the questions are starting yeah, to come here in here. Let's see what we got here. What characteristic on eastbound and down do you most identify with? If I didn't meet my wife, yeah. I would be, okay. um, uh, the, what's his name, the lead uh, yeah. guy. Yes, yeah. He resonates with me big yeah. time. Yeah, okay. I'd be in the Mexican League and yeah. all those things. Okay. So, yeah. And then Sean asked another one, when did you know what age that baseball was going to be your life? Well, I think I knew right away. I think I knew that baseball was, like I said before, it was an outlet for me. Didn't have a great childhood, great mother. My father was an entrepreneur in himself. In the morning, he was an asshole. In the afternoon, he was a jerk. And in the <laughs> evening, he was a son of a bitch. So he did all those things. Bad human being, okay? Yeah. But my mother made up for all that. So baseball was always my outlet away from him yeah. uh, because I didn't want to be home or be around him. And your dad was our Little League coach, which was awesome. So I knew right away that baseball was my outlet. It was my thing. Where I really fell in love with it, though, was in high school and then in college when I realized it might be a business. I never had delusions that I was going to play in the big leagues. I never did. But I was smart enough to know that if I wasn't going to play in the big leagues and I wanted to make this career, I was going to soak up every bit of information. Doug Smith, Coach Smith, I was going to ask you about was my, our high school coach and then my college coach, okay, taught me oh, so LaGrange. much. Yep, he yeah, was at the yeah. range in Georgia. He was the assistant coach, so I got to play for him two separate stints. And I picked his brain. We would talk about hitting and about this. And about, I thought I wanted to be a coach, and I did coach for a long time, coach at St. John's University, and I taught some of the things he taught me when I was 17, 16. So I knew around that age that this was going to be my life. What would you say is one of the best positions in 
front office or I guess anything in all of baseball and why? For me and my personality, being a major league scout is the greatest position alive. And I will tell you why is because the audience knows this, you know, I'm on the road 200 to 250 days a year. Okay. Sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less. I'm all over the world. I've been pretty much everywhere that I've ever wanted to go. And for me and my personality, that's because I couldn't work in an office. It suits me perfectly. I'm always in a major league ballpark, always trying to work a deal. I don't sleep a lot. You know that. I know you don't either. I'm one of these guys that's constantly thinking about how we can better ourselves all the time. So for me, that's the best position. I think most people would say general manager of a major league team, because you are the guy that makes every single decision yeah. is the best job. But I'm going to go a little step further and say owning the damn team would yeah. be the way to go. And that's well, that, why. Talk to me well, about why. Well, like, and because it is 100% the business side and the baseball side of baseball intrigues me, okay? Mm -hmm. People don't realize that there's a whole business side behind it. When we own minor league teams, they're like, you can actually make money at that? Yes, you can. If you are through food and beverage, through ticketing, through non-traditional events, those are all the things that build up an entity. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. So it's so funny. So Tino just asked about Peralta. So that's really really interesting that that came up. I figure I'll give them one more minute to come up with another question. So in the interim, give us a bam. All right, what do you got there? You tell me. You read it to me. What was your most defining moment? Oh, really? Since this is your show, you might as well ask the questions, you know? Oh, besides your family, what is your most prized possession? I'm a little weird with with things, okay? I'm not a things guy, okay? Like, I never sit there and say, oh, I'm going to go buy that. I don't care about stuff. My most prized possession, it doesn't exist. My most prized thing in my life is our relationships. Mm. Is you, Rich, Kenny, you know, I'm going to cry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love those guys. Yeah. Sorry. It's the relationships that I love. That's a good one. <laughs> Not a bad one. <laughs> now they're killing me. <laughs> yeah. Dino asks, he really wants to know, why didn't you ever put your mouthpiece in during football games? <laughs> because it made me choke. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's why. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. 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 That's a good one. That's a good one. Oh, man. Well, listen, I know you got to get rolling. Yeah. I really appreciate that you come flying in, spending all this time, being so open, so candid, so sharing. You clearly are successful and Again, the show, this is about, there's three criteria. Number one, I know, like, and trust you. I know, admire you. Number two, you are successful. I define success as living a life by design, not by default. Amen. And number three is that you can attribute a cornerstone of your success to the relationships that you've built. You've clearly, you know, that that is, you know, you are the essence of what this show is all about. So it's really cool to have you. You've also helped me a significant amount. Easy for me to say again, (laughs) still working out this new tongue thing. Whether it's people that I've met through you all. Again, whether it's Bill Murray or Cash or Cess, if you think Cess, Andrew, who's coming yep. on the show. Andrew, really. I'm, I'm, Andrew will be good. Yeah, yeah, Andrew, I like Andrew. Yeah. I'm excited to get Andrew. He's got an interesting story. Do you want to talk, actually, quickly yeah, about... No, I mean, but Andrew Moscato is a filmmaker, and he is yeah. a guy that made a film with Bobby Valentine. When did his... I meet him? That was 10 years ago, right? At least 10 years ago. Yeah. And our connection is Karen Duffy, who's an actress, former Revlon girl, was in the movie Dumb and Dumber. She introduced me to him. Yeah. And, again, another relationship that we built, but he's a filmmaker that really does the 30 for 30 kind of model, normally sports-oriented type mm-hmm. movies. We did Carmucci as well, too, which yeah. with his Anthony whole thing. Scarmucci. Yeah. Scarmucci, yeah. yes. Okay, I tried to merge mine. Yeah, I was just going to say it. Carmucci, Scarmucci. So he's just a, he's a really smart young man that's going to make bigger and better films, I think, as he gets older. So We had a great conversation the other day. I was just really 
And I remember being impressed with him when I met him. God, again, it, you it said dumps, it that day, and out. I never forgot. Like, yeah. they, one of the things I've been gifted with yeah. is a fairly good memory when it comes to remembering things that I know are going to be important later on. Like we were talking about with when did I know? I knew when I wanted to learn more about baseball that this is what I wanted to do. But in that, when I have networked, I've always when somebody says something that really resonates with me, and I remember you two hitting it off, and I remember this kid's on the big things, Adam's on the big things. This will be a connection for later on. So I always try to keep that in yeah. the back of my mind. So and then. You reconnected us. We reconnected you guys. Kind of stayed in touch. Yeah, yeah. I, I tried to support what he was doing. I remember the Bobby. Bobby, about yeah. Valentine's story, yes, yeah. yeah, and he understands the value too because he brings, he's introduced me to people. I'll give you a perfect example: is Bobby Valentine is possibly going to speak at the Rockland Boulders um, hot stove dinner. Oh, cool! Through Andrew and me helping him to get over there because they needed somebody. He'll, so he'll be great. He he'll, he's great. Whose hot stove were we at that he spoke? Uh, was that yours? Yes, yeah, so it was uh, in Torrington or one of those. He, there. he, yeah, he, he yeah. was one of the better. I've seen a, a lot of speakers. He's a great networker, and you need to have him really, on the show. Yeah. Okay, I, I'm telling you. I mean, Bob. Bobby understands he's a great businessman. He's a great tells uh, a good being, story too. Tells a good story. He's yeah. able to get his point across in a way that he's not making himself be better than nobody wants to hear a major league guy sit there and talk about how much better he is than you because no, he, he talked about yeah. how bad he was. Exactly. Correct. That's the part of it. Listen, yeah. I think that's the part that I love about your podcast so much is it's the realness of where people came from, where they're going. Listen, man, we are here not for ourselves. This isn't going to benefit. I should probably bring up my book, by the way. Oh yeah, that's right. I totally forgot. About yeah. that. But we are here to, to not necessarily for ourselves. We are here to hopefully help somebody that I've gotten many things from your podcast that I will incorporate many things that I will. We were talking about the young man before the one of the, my favorite ones, the networking, the guy who what's the company he owns now. He wrote a book, helps people write books. Oh, um, Tyler Wagner. Yes. Yeah, outstanding. Yeah, yeah, okay. Authors unite. Yeah, I, no, I, oh, no, I, he's, yeah, I mean, he's, he's and, a special and, guy. Every one of those I've had that I've listened to have given me something because again, I'm open. You're I'm to make yourself I want, better. I, I want to make myself better at all times. Real quick. Yeah, your book. Let's talk about your book. Not real quick. Let's take a minute. Let's talk about your book. So one of the things that you heard me talk about was the whole Peralta thing. And I have a genuine love for finding the diamonds in the rough, in particular from the independent league side of things. Because like I said, it's what I did early on in my career. So I decided when I got approached through my agent and a few other people to, to write a book about if you're a player that doesn't get signed out of college, mm-hmm. or if you're a released player from the minor league system, where do you go? What do you do? This is a book that basically takes you through the independent leagues and how to navigate them, how to network through them. You have a quote in there. Which, say the quote, which I love. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, it's it's, not, I don't remember yeah, which a, one. A wise man. Oh, yeah. A uh, wise yeah. man knows. <laughs> a smart man knows everything. A wise man knows everybody. I love that quote. Yeah. Okay, and that's one of my favorite all time. But this book it's called "Sign Me." It'll be out February fifteenth. Oh, yeah, that quick. We're just trying to. Iron You're going to turn this around then quickly. Okay. Uh, well, no, I mean it's forever long. Just hopefully it just doesn't sell right away. You know, I mean, hopefully it sells yeah, yeah, over yeah. a long period of time. But this is a book that basically educates somebody that has no idea what an independent league is or what avenues are out there. If they didn't get signed, this is how you do it. My biggest reason for writing it is because I wanted to be able to pay it forward a little bit, how those leagues help me get to where I am and how they can help a player that's looking to play professionally but can't get in. So, so how is the book writing experience? Brutal. Okay, yeah. thank I've God. I've never I heard somebody. anybody say that it's good, it's fun, it's like... Well, if I wrote the book just myself, it yeah. would have been in crayon, you know what I mean? But <laughs> I had so much help and so many people that jumped in and were able to teach me the way to go about it. Thank God there's editors and thank God there's everything else yeah. that uh, can do all the things that I can't do. 
do. Well, well, that's the beauty of a network. You surround yourself with the weakness of the individual to strengthen the group. Absolutely. And, and, Amen. And, and Amen. And, and, and it's that whole village mentality that I live by. You know what I mean? And so I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. And this book will hopefully help everybody. And by the way, not hopefully, it will help anybody that is looking for what they do if they didn't get signed and how to go about getting signed. It's a short version of something that is very important. That's great. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that coming out in February. Thank you for coming on the show. Kick it to butt. Take Love it you, to man. Love it. Being who yep. you are. Love Thank you, you, brother. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to NetworkWise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will network wise.